702. All right, it's the political story you can't ignore. It'd be one thing to focus on police brutality uh, in the United States and yet ignore what is happening here in South Africa. Of course, lockdown has brought into sharp focus what law enforcement does in dealing with members of the public who are accused of various things. Uh, But did you know uh, that even outside of lockdown, data shows that the police kill around 400 people a year in this country that's at least one a day this is the south africa we live in somebody who's been tracking all of this is viewfinder journalist uh, daniel knutzer who joins us now on the line a very good morning to you and thank you for your time good morning bongani thank you for having me The George Floyd case has brought the attention not only of South Africans, but people from all over the world around American police brutality. Uh, But we'd be fools to ignore what's happening in this country, wouldn't we? Uh, You're quite right. I think the the lockdown preceded uh, the George Floyd case. Uh, South African audiences, South African public, South African civil society was well primed uh, to start taking more of a deliberate stance, but I think even before lockdown, uh, there was an ignorance of the levels and the, uh, the the abuse that the police service has meted out on members of the public. Incidentally, also usually poor black communities, black men suffering uh, much more under the statistic that you just quoted about one death caused by police every single day. And... Um, also implied in the data is, of course, the impunity with which these crimes are committed. Um, incidentally, they're not always crimes, but uh, many, many cases of assault, which certainly are uh, rapes as well, um, and these, uh, this extortionate number of deaths that we see. Uh, there's been so few criminal convictions in light of the 42,000 criminal cases that have been opened against the police since uh, 2012. Uh, that is about... 531 convictions for 42,000 criminal cases opened. And that is an anomaly that I uh, picked up reading uh, the police watchdogs data uh, probably about two years ago now. And it's something that I've been investigating ever since. And I think what we found um, accessible via our website, viewfinder.org.za, has been some serious oversight uh, flaws and serious uh, blind spots in our accountability mechanisms and things that hopefully will be urgently addressed, especially with the pressure um, coming both from the U.S. and internally. We thought the idea of assault and torture uh, being common at police stations was something we'd left in the past. Was that naive? I think certainly it is, especially the issue of torture and kind of egregious cases of assault where uh, suspects are detained. Remember, the police are permitted to use force, um, a minimum level of force, if such is completely unavoidable in terms of affecting arrest. But that uh, that minimal disclaimer of use of force is, is certainly abused when one looks at the levels of assault that happen, but also the levels of torture. Incidentally, that's something I've been looking into more closely recently, and reading some of these accounts are really reminiscent and and staggering. Uh, The methods in use uh, were championed and developed under apartheid, and very much the the, um, approach and the circumstances under which the torture is happening. Very often people are confronted in their homes late at night during raids, 
Now, incidentally, this is not uh, for political purposes always or usually anymore. This is um, police officers doing normal crime um, interventions, looking for drugs, looking for guns, looking for suspects. But there's also the speculative element to to some of the torture that we've analyzed. Um, It's not always certain, one can tell, in the minds of the police officers and certainly in the minds of innocent people who feel very aggrieved at being pulled out of their beds in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, that this is not actually well-informed, um, the raids. They're more speculative, and the torture is almost a, a mechanism to make up for poor investigative work in a, in to try and solicit evidence out of people that sometimes are innocent and indeed are not arrested after the torture takes place. That sounds like uh, it's a problem with training then. I mean, if they're going on fishing expeditions uh, using the kind of force you are describing, that's quite extraordinary. Certainly is. I'm not an expert on police training and uh, the, the shortfalls that might occur there, but it's certainly a hierarchical and a deeply traditional organisation. Many of the methods and tactics in use um, occur across the board, so there must be some sort of consolidation or communication uh, through this massive organisation. And um, it is also a case of um, pressure downward from management on on the officers, on the rank and file to bring in results uh, when they are not properly equipped to do so. And I think training is certainly one of the areas that need to be looked at in terms of proper investigative practice and and uh, dealing with the public. But also the messages from the top, right? Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, under this uh, current crisis, we've had the police minister telling us uh, that, uh, for example, if people are caught uh, smoking cigarettes in their vehicles, they'll have to produce receipts uh, showing proof of purchase when that isn't in the regulations. Uh, but what is implicit, of course, in that uh, a thought is the idea that members of the public can be accosted by police officers who will get away with it. Absolutely. I think um, it's... I think there's a there's a problem. There's generally accepted that there's a problem of command and control straight through the management structures of the police, and that a lot of the abuses that we see are are tacitly, um, I wouldn't say endorsed, but there's a there's a feeling in the mind of a lot of the rank and file officers that they're acting within the prescript of the organisation first of all, but also with the blessing of management. And without that, within such a hierarchical organisation. I think it would be, um, I think the, the levels of abuse we see would not, not be Would quite diminish, yeah. Danielle, I have yeah. to ask you, with the new hotline okay. now that's out there, you can, do, you can report uh, abuses directly. Uh, you don't have to go to a local police station where you might be reporting an officer uh, to his or her mates. Uh, will that kind of thing help or do we need much stronger interventions? And where does IPID come into all of this? So ICOD incidentally has had hotlines uh, set up throughout um, lockdown, but quite rightly, as you say, I've, I've established that they often defer people to their actual police stations, and that obviously is a conflict of interest. I could, um, I don't know whether the new hotline will have an effect because um, IPID is essentially the institution that's mandated to investigate the police. What we know about IPID, and this is com- common knowledge for everyone, is that they're grossly underfunded. They don't have a big footprint. They usually only have one or two provincial offices in each province, which means there's vast distances which uh, separate 
other investigators from the complainants. Um, and they are hamstrung by a number of um, shortfalls that are implied in their lack of funding, but also in, in their lack of independence sometimes and in their own um, performance targets, internal management uh, decisions, which uh, is conducive to poor investigations, to pushing for stats as opposed to actually trying to make an impact and trying to bring justice to the victims. And that, um, that oversight or that shortfall in oversight is something that urgently needs to be addressed at, at both the level of the executive, IPED management itself, but also um, the institution to which they answer, which is, of course, Parliament. Danielle Knutzer, we'll leave it there. Viewfinder journalist doing uh, amazing work in highlighting these abuses and these injustices. Here are four names that you'll need to remember. Collins Kosa. You'll remember, of course, uh, he died after an altercation with members of uh, the SANDF and Johannesburg Metro Police officers at his home in Alex in Johannesburg. This Musiso Amos. Uh, he died, uh, of course, uh, after he was shot fatally on the veranda of his home in uh, Kuruleni, uh, Petrus Michels, right? He died on the first day of uh, the lockdown after he was allegedly assaulted by police and the officers in that case were cleared because he apparently had a heart attack. Then there's uh, Adane Emanuel in KZN. Uh, again there, he was killed. He was an informal trader killed after a scuffle uh, between uh, officers uh, and uh, members of the community in KZN. Let it not be that we take to the streets in the way that we have seen in America, for example, before real change has to come.